What a beautiful song service we have had. If we have listened to the words and sang with the spirit and the understanding, I think surely we have all been encouraged and strengthened already by being here. That song that was just led is one of my favorite, one of my very favorite songs. You're my friend and you're my brother even though you are a king. And it's so essential that we be reminded, particularly in this time, that we serve a king. And with all the turmoil and things that are going on, and the American freedoms that we are accustomed to, we have to be reminded that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. You alone are the real joy giver and the apple of my eye. You alone are my strength and my shield. To you alone may my spirit yield. I hope what I have chosen for us to study together tonight will be an encouragement to you. Before I get into that, I want to echo what Brother D said this morning about our elders. That I encourage each of you to pray for them and to encourage them and to be thankful that we have men in this congregation that are dedicated to leading us in spirit and in truth. I actually have chosen to do a chapter study tonight That'll be from 1 Peter 2. The book of 1 Peter is a very interesting book. There is a lot of encouragement and instruction in that book for people, for God's people who are going to be facing difficulties and persecution. There is without a doubt some of our freedoms being eroded. And D addressed that very eloquently this morning. We are citizens of a greater kingdom. Whether these limitations are temporary or permanent, we don't know. But God is where we are to find our strength. Jesus is our king. So in 1 Peter 2, verse 1 and 2, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. So it begins here in chapter 2, wherefore, well, uh, men have have laid out these chapters and verses, but he's transitioning from a thought that refers back to 1 Peter 1, verse 23, where it was stated that the Christian has a new spiritual life or a new nature through Jesus. In light of the new life, a new kind of lifestyle or behavior is expected of us as Christians. Having been made meet or suitable to be partakers of of the inheritance, we must now grow by the word of God that we may walk worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him. So there's something I meant to say, and and I think it still fits here now. I believe that there were uh, eight weeks where we gathered in our homes to worship, where we were not able to be together. And since we have had some type of reopening, Kelly and I have been quarantined, self-quarantined two other times, and we have been uh, on a trip or other places three or four other times. 
we have not gathered right here with our home congregation for half of the time for half the the, the for the, for half of this half of the year and what an encouragement it is to be here and to see all of the people who we have worshiped with who we commonly worship with and when we are separated from one another then we start as Dee made me aware this morning, we start forgetting this truth that our behavior is regulated by something greater than ourselves, greater than our thanks selves. Our, our behavior and our attitudes and the way we look at things are to be regulated by God's word. He says laying aside, and that means we must remove these things and put away as we would a dirty or a soiled or a filthy garment. Peter listed some sins which keeps Christians from loving his brothers and hinders our spiritual growth. And as Christians, we now have the, the potential to say no to these sins, to say no to these attitudes and, and these thought processes. Christianity necessi necessitates a separation from sin. Our desire, our daily goal is to be free from sin, be free from the hindrances that it brings about in our life, but because of our frailty, because of our humanness, in experience, this is a daily work, a lifetime process. So these uh, sins that he listed were guile, which means trickery or subtlety or deceit, uh, Envy, that's jealousy or covetousness. Hypocrisy, pretense, acting, falsity. And the, then the two that I have not mentioned are the ones that I think particularly at this time with the turmoil that's going on around us are things that can invade our minds and our thought processes. Malice, which means wickedness or naughtiness or evil. And then evil speaking, defamation, railing. And we need not to allow ourselves to think this way or to get caught up in this. In verse 2, Peter does not say that they were in infancy as far as spiritual matters were concerned, but he draws the analogy between the hunger that a baby has for milk and the hunger a Christian should have for the Word of God. The instruction is to have an intense, earnest longing for the pure, unadulterated Word of God. So what kills our desire or diminishes our desire for the word? And it's sin. Sin destroys our appetite for God's word. So we must put it away. James 1 verse 21 says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Back in 1 Peter 2 beginning verse 3, If so be ye so have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Verse 5, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, 
The stone which the builders disallowed, the same has made the head of the corner. And the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they are appointed. But ye are a chosen generation of royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So as you study 1 Peter, the, it seems to me here he is making a tra transition. He is closing up the first part or his inner introduction. And then the description of our new identity in Christ is preparing for the part to come. An answer to the question of how Christians should and must live in society. In preparation for that, Peter draws a sharp contrast between the identity of the believer and that of other members of society. He said, you have come to a rejected stone. And he introduces with that language something we see often through scripture, coming. Coming to him. This word is frequently used in reference to approaching God. In Exodus 12, the people drew near to celebrate the Passover. In Deuteronomy, Moses approached God on the mountain. And in the scriptures that we've just read, this is a repetitive action that he is describing. We are to continue coming to Christ. He has already told us in previous time what, came, what happens when we first came, we were born again. And he has begun on a, and we are begun on a journey of growth. He is urging us to des desire the word as a newborn child desi desires milk. This reestablishes his point that we grow by going back again and again to the source where we were begotten. And in this instruction, he says, those of you have, that have tasted that the Lord is good or is, is gracious to keep coming back to that inexhaustible source. And he says in this, in the reading we've just gone through that we're to come to him as a living stone. And this is an interesting phrase to me because throughout God's word, scripture refers to stones as dead. The Old Testament refers to gods of wood and stone in contrast to the living God. And Peter himself refers to the fact that we aren't redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold in the first chapter, verse 18. But Jesus is the opposite of a natural stone. He has life and he gives life and we are to continually come back to him for that life. He wants us to know another thing that we are another thing about this living stone with whom we identify. He says, Jesus has been rejected by men. When Paul spoke of that fact, he specifically targets the Jews as those who rejected Christ. Peter's purpose is broader. He implicates all men, with the exception of the church, as rejectors of Christ. He draws a stark contrast between the people of this world on the one hand and God and those whom God has chosen on the other. And I believe here 
is also the he's, he begins to hint at what his letter is leading up to, that the world has rejected to Christ, that because the world has rejected Christ, it must necessarily reject us. Thus, the church is to be characterized by patient endurance in every kind of suffering and every kind of turmoil. He said this stone is chosen by God and is precious. And think about how the world, the contrast between the way the world views Jesus and the way God does. The world rejects him, but God loves him. We cannot be both a friend of Christ and a friend of the world. Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse, uh, I'm sorry, verse, uh, Matthew 12, verse 30, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. The only thing that really matters is what God thinks. And in God's eyes, Jesus is choice and precious. Therefore, if we wish to be chosen and precious, we can only do so through Jesus Christ. And we are being built upon Christ into a spiritual house. We also are living stones because of our relationship with Jesus. We draw our life from him. So we are not to be made into a dead building, but a spiritual house. God designed this house of living stones who will worship him in spirit and in truth. He also said, he says we are that building material, but we are also a holy priesthood. In verse 9, we are told that we are royal priests. Dwell on that. Let that sink in. We are all to be engaged in offering up worship and sacrifice to God. That was never realized by the people of God in the Old Testament. Many lived far from the temple and made it there once a year. And when they got there, the, the high priest went into the most holy place to make sacrifice for them and to worship God on their behalf. But God has provided something better for you and for me who now have no, uh, no physical temple in a far-off land. In Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16, it says, Seeing then we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And if the house is spiritual, the house that we are a part of is spiritual, so are our sacrifices. Just as physical stones are of no value to God, but we are precious. This is the point. This is the purpose of our life. These truths that are being laid out are here so that we can know why God has made us what we are. The sacrifices of God. I'd like to know, notice four that I thought of. A contrite heart in Psalms 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. We know from Romans 12, verse 1, that our bodies are a living sacrifice. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, 
holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The praises of God's people. Hebrews 11, verse 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name and doing good to others. Hebrews 13, verse 16. But do good, and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices is God well pleased. And in this context, the gifts the Philippians had sent to Paul, he describes in Philippians 4, verse 18, as an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. How can we hope to offer acceptable worship, acceptable sacrifice that is pleasing to God? We learn in the Old Testament that our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. An offering is nothing if God does not accept it. All of these things are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So the only acceptable offering is made in a temple that is founded upon Christ alone. We learn that Jesus is the cornerstone of that house. And this, of course, is not, as we've said, an earthly house. God has laid the cornerstone and our praises will only be acceptable if founded in Christ. We also learn that he has been rejected by men to their destruction. The world rejects Christ because they are disobedient or unbelieving. Rahab, by faith, did not perish with them that believed not. We learn of that in Hebrews 11, verse 31. And Peter speaks of those who do not obey the gospel in verse four, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 17. Romans 9, verse 30 through 33 what shall we say then, that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith? But Israel which followed after the law of righteousness hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in sign a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. So when we consider this and this scripture that we've just read about the stumbling stone that has been laid, we need to be aware of how our flesh can stumble at this and how we can try to turn back to the things of the world. Remember to come again and again to Christ who has begotten us to a lively hope. And do not be fooled by what the world does. We cannot be a friend to those who reject Christ and be a friend of those who are God's children as well. We'll continue in verse uh, 11 of 1 Peter 2. Dearly beloved, I seat you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust that war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so it is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brethren, brotherhood, 
Fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not, as, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffering, willing, uh, suffering wrongfully. For, for what glory is it if, when you be buffeted for your fault, you shall take it patiently? But if, when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges, judges righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. For ye were as sheep gone astray, but now returned unto the shepherd, but now are returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. It's an interesting phrase right in the middle of all that. For even hereunto were you called. How does this glorify God to endure suffering? To, en to endure difficulties. By nature, we hate to give the impression of weakness. That's part of our flesh. We hate to look like someone got the advantage of us. We hate to let false accusations stand against us. We do not like it when unreasonable and abusive people seem to have the last say. Everything within us recoils and pushes towards retaliation. So what Peter calls for here is, contrary, is utterly contrary to our human nature. How is responding in this manner Christ-like? If we, through Christ, triumph over our own fallen nature and live at this level, it is, a strong, it is strong evidence that something more than nature, outside of nature, above nature, is at work in our lives. That is, in fact, what Peter says is the case. He tells us five times that this kind of life so contrary to human nature is because of our relationship with God through Christ. God is being honored because God is the key to this utterly counter-natural way of life, counter-cultural way of life. In other words, true Christianity does make a difference. We now are living from radically different premises, different values, different priorities, a different focus altogether. So let's notice these five times that Peter connects this freedom from our old natural spirit of retaliation. In verse 19, we do not endure sorrow and unjust suffering out of fear of man or even out of our own weakness. Those things are truly irrelevant. We bear it for the sake of conscience towards God. That is, that we take into account the sacrifice made for us, the, the relationship the covenant relationship we have through the blood of Christ. We look to God and not our circumstances. God is the unseen factor in the world. The world will never understand our behavior when we live for God. Why do we not fight back? As Christians, our answer must be, my conscience is bound to God. In verse 20, we find we have favor with God. What Peter means here is that God delights in behavior that reflects 
our reliance on his grace when the supports of the world are knocked out from under us. God answers Paul, my grace is sufficient. When a Christian out of a conscience toward God looks to God for strength and courage and hope and peace in time of suffering and as a result bears the suffering patiently, God sees that as a tribute to his grace and he is pleased. Verse 21 tells us that we are called by God to suffer. For you have been called for this purpose. Here is the point. Here the point is that that kind of non-retaliating, gracious, submissive behavior is possible because we rely on God. We do not rely on ourselves. We're told that we have been called for this. When whether minor or great, whenever we must face tribulation, our behavior is to be submissive and relying wholly on God. Suffering unjustly in this world is not a coincidence for Christians. It is a calling. He says it again in 1 Peter 3, verse 8 through 15, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But, but and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. The fourth point Christ is our example. Christ also suffered for us, leaving an example for us to follow in his steps. Simply put, Jesus taught us by his sufferings how we are to patiently endure all things. And fifth, we are to entrust ourselves to God who judges righteously. I believe this is a very important key to, how to, to patient endurance and how that honors God. When we endure unjust suffering for the sake of conscience towards God... We are not saying that justice doesn't matter. We are saying that God is the final judge and he will settle accounts justly. My abuser will not have the last say. God will have the last say and that's why I do not need to worry about it. I defer to God. That is all of my comments for this evening. I hope that I've said something that we have, through God's word, been able to encourage you. If there's one here, has been taught and would like to obey the Lord in baptism and begin their walk with him, or if there's one who needs the prayers of the brethren here, would you come and sit on the front row as we stand and sing?